Yeah, you're, you're, you've chosen to be in the same room. There was a, uh, I had a friend from Sri Lanka who always called me Joy, Joy. My name is Joey. That's how you pronounce it. And so, thank you. You have a lot of options for breakout sessions today. You chose Joy. I deserve the job. And that was so funny. <laughs> Do you know that I am actually, after, after like, I started um, doing improv for fun in freshman year of high school and I was doing it for the rest of my life. Like, a few weeks ago, I had my, after probably 20 years, my first paid improv gig. So I had a professional gig. I'm not really a professional gig, but um, a few things just before we get started. And, um, yeah, I just want to like kind of see a show of hands on today. Like, if you're open to making a new friend that you don't know today, and you, you go to that, raise your hand. Okay, so just in case you're feeling like, oh my gosh, everybody knows each other here. I don't really belong here. Nobody really wants to talk to me. That's a lie. All everybody here just you saw it. they want to make a new friend. So don't be afraid to. Uh, Talk to new people, and uh, we're glad you're here. Welcome here. You're in the right place. You're in the right place. Let's pray. In the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. Just reminded and reflecting on Saint Joseph. On May first, we celebrate Saint Joseph the Worker, and here's a man who gave his full self into his work. Offering his work not just for his customers or his boss, but for the Lord. Who gave his all, who gave, who worked to protect and provide for Jesus, the Son of God. St. Joseph, we ask that you would teach us by your example and uh, help us to understand by your prayers. How, how we are supposed to understand our work and how we can have joy in our career for those who feel in a, in a rough spot right now in that area, whether it be unemployment or in a rough job, pray that, Lord, that you would bring your peace on them today. Pray that you would guard my lips to speak only what is beneficial for these people that you know personally that are in these chairs today. All right, who are listening? Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed are thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, Mary, God pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Father, Son, I think the only reason I get by this week at CTK is because I watched Chick Flicks and I talk about them. So in the Chick Flick, um, just like heaven, Reese Witherspoon is a doctor, and she's a really, she's a really good doctor. Like we see her in the opening scene of the movie, she's been at the hospital for like 20 hours straight, right? And, you know, constantly getting pulled. And she's really good at her job, and she's really invested in her job. And then, like as she's driving home from work, she gets hit by a semi truck and dies, and is like, I don't know, it didn't really spoil it, but it's kind of the beginning. Um, but she's like reflecting on her life as a ghost after the fact. And she sees that like, 
plowing, none of my neighbors really knew anything about me. Like I didn't have uh, relationships. I didn't really have friendships. Her life was like all about work. And she has this realization, she's like, she's breaking down and realizing this, like, I spent all my life helping other people live. But I wasn't actually living. I spent all my life helping other people to live this thing, life, out here. Joyful life. But I was removed from it the whole time. And that's, that's a really interesting thing, too, because like her job, you could argue, should be a very fulfilling work, too. It's not, it's not every job that we have like direct access to saving people's lives. But this still got carried away in her heart to where she, she had removed herself from actually living full joy. Maybe we can relate to that. Um, I'd like to see a show of hands of kind of where you are at in your careers. If, if you're in the, the engineering space, just like raise your hand, tech, engineering. Okay, cool. If you're, uh, if you're in the medical space in any regard, teachers, education. Okay, only, only one. Or two, or two, great. Um, what else am I, what are other careers? What's that? Community, yeah, oh yeah, the whole business. Yeah, communications, business, finance. Okay, ministry, hey. I'm, I'm not joking, he really is. Um, so that's, that's cool. So here's the good news. The good news is this. You can have joy in any job. You can have joy in any job. Because guess what? Your job is not your deepest identity as a human being. Let's frame our whole discussion on that. Everything that happens in life, in whatever job we're put in, even if your job is like Walter Chiswick, and he finds himself in the Siberian labor camp under a communist regime, you can still find joy in your job. I, I don't... I would profess that I, I would be able to do it in those circumstances, but he did. Because everything, Father Jack Philippe in his book, I think Interior Freedom, writes about this, that everything that we find in our life becomes an opportunity to grow in faith, hope, and love. Everything. You've got a boss that prefers somebody else over you. It's an, always an opportunity for growth and charity, growth and hope, growth and faith. Man is, we live in such a career building focus where it's like do, 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 accomplish this, put on a strong face, so much emphasis on what we do. Really, we learn who we are, we realize who we are by what, not so much what we do extraordinarily, but what we accept. And we'll have the disposition to which we do this. So I want to give you that encouragement. However, however, um, sometimes there is something better that the Lord has to in a career. In uh, Genesis, the story of Abraham, Abraham has this desire in his heart that is given by God 
to be a dad, to be a father of many nations. But he has no children. And so Abraham and his wife, they, they, they kind of like try to make this desire that's put in their heart happen in their own way, taking control. And the, the way that he's going to do this is by having relations with his slave woman and his son Ishmael's born, and Ishmael's 13 years old, and Abraham's like, finally, uh, this, is, this is the time where, like, this is how my desire is going to be realized. It's through Ishmael, and that's what God really meant when he said, I'll be the father of nations. And, and God speaks to Abraham and says, let me clarify the promise that I made to your heart. Your wife, Sarah, will bear your son. And Abraham's like, oh, what? I had this all planned. I had this plan figured out. This was a great plan. What are you talking about? Sarah's like 100,000 years old. How is this going to work? And, and like, Abraham laughs. Because it's so ridiculous. And God says this line. Is anything too wonderful for Yahweh? Is anything too wonderful? Yahweh needs God. What if God wants to make you really happy? Do you believe that? What if God cares about you personally and even knows and understands and cares for how you're spending your time most of your week, which is probably in your job? And what if God has something to say about that? It was at my brother's high school graduation. Not high school, college graduation. And it's a beautiful celebration, everybody's happy and stuff. And then I get a phone call from my boss. And I step outside, it was a stadium. I answered the phone and uh, he said, Tim is gone. Tim's gone. He took his life into his hands. And while everybody is like so much, you hear cheers from inside the stadium, I, I, I start to cry. And I'm, I'm really shaken up. I didn't know uh, Tim that well, um, but he was on my team at work. We were in the same rotational development program for a company I will try not to name uh, in this talk. But he was, he was a year younger, he was just like me. He was like a, no, a year older, he was just a little bit ahead of me. And the fact that um, this happened, it, you know, I, I never knew the, the reason why, but I, I had reason to believe that the stress and the environment of the work and the pressures placed upon this recent college graduate may have contributed to that choice to end his life. And why that scared me so much was because me personally, at that time, that moment, I was in a bad place. And it was kind of a wake-up call that if I didn't do something, I might be in a worse place. I might be in a worse place. So give me a back, background. I'm sharing some vulnerable stuff here. But um, it's my story. I went to Georgia Tech. I, uh, I did really well. I had uh, I did a like, great GPA. And I had um, a job lined up. I, I, I actually did a lot of co-ops and internships in the engineering space while I was there. But I didn't really like engineering. I, I could do it, but um, I, 
I felt like there was my creative space was not being able to be engaged. I was a lot of just like isolated work. I wanted to work with people, I thought, and on the team. And there wasn't that much happening. And so uh, at the end of college, I was offered a sales job, technical sales. And I'm like, ha, that's the answer. People, you go to lunch and you get paid and you get paid. I was like always hungry at that time, so that sounded great. Um, in my first year after deploying into the sales region, uh, uh, and I shared with you just to, to kind of know the scope of, of, of where this is at, because it really has nothing to do with me and my ability, uh, because I was just kind of, I, I kind of stepped into like a really great opportunity. A lot of the work was like done when I got there. But I brought in $13 million in my first year in sales, right? There were meetings, I remember specifically going into a, uh, this meeting that I had every two, two weeks, and there was these engineers there, and literally I brought them cookies from like there, and I just watched these engineers eating these cookies, and I have them online talking with like a much smarter engineer and talking to things, and I'm like, I'm kind of me. Like, I literally just bring these people cookies, and like, I have a 43% growth rate. Like, this is, this is crazy. Like, all I really have to do, and the thing about in the automotive semiconductor space, like, if you win a deal, you win for five years. Like, the model year 2024 carrying car right now, like, a lot of the components are going to be the same for five years, same as like model year 29, right? So it's like, it's the best situation possible, right? Everything should be good. What's the problem? The problem was that in this job, for me, I was kind of taught and had a tendency to view life through the lens of winning business, taking what I want. You want something, you take it, there's resistance, make it happen. And that narrative is very contrary to the narrative of receiving life as a gift, receiving the other person as a gift. Um, and that's the narrative that leads to joy and to life, because that's the narrative that, the whole narrative of, of making a gift of yourself, that's what leads to joy, that's what the Lord speaks about, that's what John Paul II speaks about. The anti-narrative of what can I take from you, this is the space I was living in, this is what I was trained in, and the fruit of that is death. The fruit of that is death. Um, there were meetings where we would write the engineers' names of my house. I've also write them on the board and say, like, Steve, useless. John, useless. Brian, I want you to be his best friend. He can, he can get us you know, money, whatever. Right? Um, I did not like um, a lot of the people I worked with. I thought there were slime balls. But what scared me the most is when I started acting like a slime ball. And here I am, I know I'm, like, I'm a Catholic guy, I embrace the faith at this point. And I know, like, going into this, I'm like, I'm going to, like, be an evangelist at work. Like, I'm going to be the light to this. And then I'm no better than anybody else. It's like, the ground is cut underneath me when I see me failing. I'm being charitable, being caught up in the rat race. We all have uh, brokenness from our families and our upbringings, for sure. And nobody's spared from that. But not all wounds are the same. And when there are gaps in your human formation, there are bad people that can sometimes sense that 
and take advantage to that, take advantage of that, and accrue a set. And for me, what the pressure that I was invited into was to place my worth in my career and in my sales scorecard. I didn't really have a craving for money. I didn't. But I had a craving for my boss's approval, manager's approval. It was that, and the threat of that, that kept me motivated rather than, you know, making more money for myself. My boss had refused at one point to shake my hand until I wanted some business. I remember this area manager came to me. I was like an intern shouting in the sales region at the time. And uh, I was like, oh, Mr. Bahala, so special on you. And he asked me a question, what value did you add to the company today? And I was like thrown off by the question. That's how we started. There was no, like, there was no like, hello or anything. It was just like, what value did you add? And I was like, uh, well, I, I, I sat in and shot a lot of meetings. I didn't really have a customer yet. I'm just a, it's my second week on the job. And he, and he asked me more, for, like, what value did you add to the company today? I'm like, uh, I, I don't know. Sounds like nothing. Nothing. That was my interaction. So that's, I, I share that to give you like um, an insight into the culture that I was in. I had sleep problems, stomach problems, anxiety and depression, though I, I didn't have the words to name that. I thought there was with other people had to deal with. Um, I felt a crisis of meaning. I remember driving my car and thinking, if I got like on my way to work on the cube, like, if I died right now, would I be happy? Would I be happy? I'm, I'm feeling that there's kind of like two options of where I'm about to be headed. One could possibly be with where Tim helped went into. The other is where my heart just completely shuts down and dies. I felt my heart is dying. My creativity is dying. I'm like, is this how like adults do it? They like they all like reach a point where this just is dead, and then I go through life dead, pretty on the outside, but a whitewashed tomb. Like Jesus speaks to the Pharisees. Is this why so many fathers come home from work and are disengaged from their families? Is this? How it happens with everyone? Oh, how sad is this? Who can save us from this nightmare? And in the midst of this angst and this confusion, I went on a day retreat on a Saturday. And this guy I knew from a long time ago in Atlanta there, his name was Greg Boudreau. And this other guy I didn't know, Brian Butler, was also there. And Greg and I, like, I was in... Carmel, Indiana at the time, and Greg, my friend, how did the Lord bring me to specifically, not even Indianapolis, but Carmel? And I was outside after like a, a talk, and Brian and Greg were throwing the football over there, and uh, I, the football was overthrown, I guess Brian was really good at throwing the football around, it was overthrown, and it came to me, and I was like kind of in my own world over here, praying and thinking to myself about all the stuff that I'm sharing with you today, and the grass. And Greg comes over to me and asks me, he's like, hey, how's it going? And in that moment, I had a choice. The choice to present the facade that everything's great. Everything's great. I'm an adult. <laughs> I have a job. 
I'm competent, I'm capable. Or the choice to actually embrace my poverty. Embrace the reality. And I turned to Greg with tears in my eyes and said, I'm having a really hard time, actually. And it was such a beautiful moment. Brian came over immediately, and I just broke down in front of them. And I just, yeah, I just wept over all of it. And I received, I received their love for me as a brother, not as a, as a competitor or cutthroat, but as a gift. And I remember Brian asking me a question like, is this the right job? I'm like, no. <laughs> it's so clearly not. Um, it was that day, right, right after that, that I surrendered my plans over to the Lord. Uh, realizing that, like, I had been justifying this job with the amount of money. But I said, what my family needs more than anything is a father who's alive, who's present. And that was so hard for me to do, but I surrendered. It never crossed my mind that ministry could ever be a job that I would do. So what happened on that journey, uh, I won't go into detail there, but I stayed in this job a year more, but with a different disposition. So I didn't, I didn't leave right away, but I stayed in it and, and really developed this, um, I guess developed proper boundaries, developed this attitude, um, making the most out of it, but centering my identity in the Lord and not in what the manager says in the scorecard or whatever, right? And I'm grateful for that year, but eventually I, I felt the tug to go to seminary. And so I quit the job and I remember visiting uh, Mundelein Seminary with this guy, Joe Wagner. Uh, he was thinking about becoming a priest too. And I'd be an honor guy. But yeah, I went to seminary for uh, three years, then discerned out. And now I work in a ministry capacity because there's vectors in my ministry for the archdiocese. Um, I'm so grateful for my job. There are, there are plenty of hard moments with my job now. Ministry does not solve your problems. That's not what I'm saying. But I can honestly say there's a tangible difference between where I was and where God has me now. Jesus saved me. Jesus really delivered me. And if you're in a place that's bad now, I want you to know that he can save you too. Even if you think it's not as dramatic as my story, the Lord cares and wants you to have joy, and you can have joy in your job. So this is what this is what I would ask you just to reflect some questions. Because I know that was my story, and maybe that is only to your but I think now the practical things that you could kind of ponder for where you're at. Here's what I would ask. What do you find yourself doing in your spare time? For me, there was no doing engineering in my spare time. I just did that because I thought that would make me a lot of money. What do you do in your spare time? That's probably something there. There's some aspect of there that if you're doing your spare time, that sounds like something you might really enjoy. Well, here's another question. What do you know the insides and out of? What do you know the insides and out of and want to know the insides and out of? There's a difference between segmented and systematic understanding. I got like 
yeah. seg segmented and systematic understanding of something. So engineering, my grades were awesome at Georgia Tech. I super cool out. It's great. Systematically, I don't I, I never understood engineering. I know how to ace tests. But I didn't have a comprehensive education where everything connected and clicked in a whole systematic vision. I knew parts because I didn't understand all that. I didn't want to understand all that. When I started theology class, it was like, oh my gosh, this is something I understand and I care about. And I'm reading in my extra time. Another question. What are your deepest desires? What are your deepest desires? The way to heaven is through desire. It is the goal of Christian life is not this repressing of desire. Sure, there's lots of things in our hearts that need to be tempered and purified and stuff. But it's the desire for joy that should propel us into these things. What desires are you afraid of? Like me, I was afraid of the desire I had for ministry because I thought I'd be poor all my life. I just think I'd be poor all my life. But I'm happy. Enjoy. Another question. What are you running away from? What are you running away from? I was offered, well, I was, I heard about in Indianapolis when I was in this turmoil that there, the pro life director position had become available in Indianapolis. And I applied and I got rejected because I had no theology, education, or anything. I had an engineering degree. They're like, yeah, we don't think you're the right fit. And I was heartbroken. It wasn't the right time. I'm so, like I said, I needed, there would have been me running away from that. There was a lot that God still had to teach me. And look what he gave me, like, years later, to be the director of the, my hometown, the place where I grew up. Not only that, but as a side note, maybe it wasn't clear. So Greg Boudreau and I, in that little circle of Brian and Greg, we're praying. Greg says, the, like, he receives a word from the Lord that says, harmony. So, fast forward, Garden Musical is a, a theology of body musical that was written by Greg and Greg's a songwriter, and Brian was the original producer. So God planted the seeds for that, like, part of my, literally, like, a few months ago, part of my job was to direct a theology of the body musical as the pro-life director of the diocese. Like, how, how big a gift is that for the Lord? Engaging your desires. Have you surrendered your career and job over to the Lord? Surrender, just, just so you know what that means, that when we surrender something, that means he takes it all. All of it. Have you surrendered your job and your career over to the Lord? If you haven't, or if you need to again, can you today? Can you at this moment? Lastly, is it my job that needs to change? Is it a job? Or is it my disposition? Or is it both? Good things to pray about today. Um, I'm not sure if we have time for questions. I was told we are supposed to have some. They wanted some Q&A. So you just tell me when I'm doing. We need to stop the Q&A, okay? Um, yeah, Q&A time. This is going to be my interior attitude toward the job. 
So like the example I gave was, I stayed in the job an extra year after I kind of had that big surrender moment where there was a, there was a deeper freedom and detachment. And that, that did help a lot of things, but I still felt called that, okay, now I actually, this is the job I was going to do. Yeah, other, do you other, other questions you want to know? No, no questions or anything. Or if you don't, yeah. days are really, really hard. I'll have patients die right in front of me. Like it, it, it's very difficult some days, but then other days it's like, you know, somebody who just had a stroke is up in the walking and you know, their family sees a treatment working or something. And it's like so fulfilling. But how do you or do you have any advice on like how to handle the whole opposite on the spectrum like that in a job? Well, thank you. Thank you for what you do. Um, I'm, I'm so grateful to nurses and uh, being one who's been hospitalized a few times in my life. I just want you to know the gift of when I could tell like someone who treated me with kindness, someone who was a prayerful person, like even if they didn't say anything about God, like I as a patient recognized it and gave me so much peace. So truly thank you to all. Nurses, doctors, and medical. I would say back to what I was saying before, right? If, if there are some aspects of the job that are like easy, joyful, like praise God for those, the hard stuff, can I view these as an opportunity to grow in faith, hope, or love, right? It seems like the, it seems like the wrong thing because it's not, I'm not enjoying it, it's not part of my plan. What if? This is like, this is like the antidote that I need. You know, what if like God's, the reason I don't like it because it's rubbing up against something in me. Like, oh, I really don't like not being in control of my time. Maybe God wants to teach me where to surrender my time. Maybe this person that I have to work with, or this patient that I have to work with, really just drives me nuts. Why do they drive me nuts? Praying with that. Maybe it's because this person reminds me of, of an aspect of myself that I don't really love so much, and this becomes an opportunity to love myself more. There was another hand before I thought, yeah. Uh, what would you say to someone who feels stuck in a bad work situation and struggles to find joy because maybe he or she is surrounded by a lot of negativity around some of the people that he or she may work with. Uh, I feel, yeah. That is rough. I think a lot of people can relate to being in environments where, you know, especially if there's not a lot of supervision or, um, the way I, I worked in a male-dominated industry for a long time, so the way that, like, women we talked about was really, really awful sometimes. Just like I'm dying with this. I think there's a, there's more of a witness than you know to not engage in gossip, to not engage in whatever the negativity is, to 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 speak hopefully in that. Um, it's probably not going to make you 
close friends with these people, but that's okay. I mean, if I'm detached and I'm not worried about that, um, that's okay. I would say like there's there's wisdom in just staying staying where you are, avoiding that where you can, and when you can't, accepting that as as an opportunity to like okay, I need it. I can't say anything to these people, but I can pray for them. And maybe God brought me into the space to be an intercessor. Yes. Um, how do you discern between figuring out what you want versus what God wants? I've been in a few different fields in my life, and I feel like all of them have been my choice versus the Lord's choice. And trying to discern, you know, where to go with that is really hard. It is hard. Yeah. I think it needs to be said first and foremost that if the lie is that if you desire something, that must not be what God wants. Right? That's a lie. Same thing with the okay, I hope they're talking about that over there. Right? I really want to be married, but I to please God and become a nun. That's not how it works. God will God may purify your desires, but in there is a deep desire. If you're really calling me a nun, then there's a deep desire to be a nun, a priest or whatever. Um, so I would say that that is really important in that process. But yeah, we, we can, with our, with our fears, we can lie, we can deceive ourselves about our own desires. So I would say, ask the Lord to show you, like, what are my fears? And what are my attachments? Like maybe it's something so trivial. Like for me, like I really, this is so embarrassing, but like I, I thought it would be cool to be a millionaire. And I would like, in my back of my mind, I could like, I'm just stay in this job this, this many years and I'll be a millionaire. And I'm like, what was I gonna do? Like, tell everyone, oh, you know, I'm a millionaire. <laughs> That was like, it was so subtle, but that was like, that was this attachment. And it was preventing me from being open to something that actually brings me joy. It's hard, it's hard. And I'm not going to lie, like, this is, I'm, I still pray about it, like, and the difficulties in my job now in ministry. Like, it's, it's not the same as what the former, they're, they're different struggles. And I'm like, constantly on the Lord, is it, is it time to make a change? Is it time to stay here? Let's do a quick prayer. So, Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you see us to the person right now who is feeling like they're really afraid of where they're at. Maybe the person who feels like their heart is dying, that they're dead, feels like they're in the wrong place. Thank you, Lord, that you have. By your holy cross, you have redeemed the world. You have saved us from the powers of sin, death, and hell. Surely, Lord, surely, Lord, you can overcome whatever obstacles that are on our hearts and minds today. We trust in you. We surrender our careers to you. Help us to grow in you. Open them up. Help us to live lives. Um, and our careers with joy and be a witness to all we work with.